0: Six ninety nine per pound,
1: six ninety nine per pound, per pound, per pound, per, per pound, six ninety nine per pound, pound, ninety nine per pound, pound.
0: ninety nine per pound. Hey yo, it's six
1: ninety nine
0: per pound.
1: Podcast Yo, yo, we out here right now, at listening party, live and direct, straight from Canal Street Market, located prominently on Canal Street in Chinatown, New York City. Yes, another episode of 6.99 per pound podcast. This is J.K. Cho, the one and only, along with my co-host.
0: Jojo Park.
1: Um. Wow. It was a wild week. But uh, let me just kind of give you a breakdown on what 6.99 per pound podcast is. We interview leaders and professionals from a wide variety of Careers and lifestyles, just like the diverse food options found at a Korean-owned hot food deli. That's why we're called $6.99 per pound podcast. Once this shit gets gentrified, it might be $7.99, $8.99, even might be $9.99. Oh yeah, we got a shout out to the fans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure.
0: We got a shout out <laughs> to the fans, fans. come first. The fans always so have to so you come know. first. Yes.
1: yes, fans, we love y'all. Followers, likers, and the people that share us on IG, we appreciate Review-wise. y'all please continue to do so. We got to get the word out there so we can get these advertising dollars up. You know what I mean?
0: us report. Comments
1: left on all podcast streaming platforms. Yes, you need to do that. We on Spotify now. That's official. We read all your comments, so please keep leaving them. So with that said, who do we have today as our special guest, Jojo?
0: Uh, so today we have a very, very special guest. I think... What we wanted our podcast to do was shed light on stigmas and um, issues in our community that maybe some of us feel, feel uncomfortable talking about. We wanted to bring an expert to shed light on these things. And we found this kind of perfect person to really talk about one of the things we wanted to focus on, which is mental health. So today we have Paula Vani, an entrepreneur and founder of Curated Goals, and she's also an anxiety coach, which is a really cool job, I think. I'm really excited to hear more about it. And the author of Vulnerable, a collection of short stories about Pollock's journey with anxiety and her journey towards acceptance. She has a master's Social work and her mission is to reduce the stigma associated with vulnerability and mental health and committed to expanding her role in advocacy. So, really excited to dive in in your anxiety coach career, but also maybe where you see your future going and how you want to scale that into something bigger. So, welcome, Paula. Thank you guys. Thank you for having me. All right.
1: Mm -hmm. right. Mm Um, I mean, I think, I think we got to start it from the bottom. We got to start it from the heart, mm-hmm. where, where it originated from, you know, mm-hmm. like because all occupations have a genesis, has a seed totally. of how it leads to that yeah. destination. So uh, you got to tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, especially us being podcasters that always like shout out people of color. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, Absolutely. Who are you?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll start with the basics. I'm South Asian. I'm 27 years old, almost 28 this year. Born and raised in Michigan. So a Midwest gal over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, came to New York actually two years ago yesterday was wow. my two-year anniversary. Oh my God, wow.
1: congratulations. Totally Yay. feel like a
2: New Yorker, I will say. Yes. Um, but how did I get to mental health? I mean, it was not right away. You know, growing up, actually, I think it was brewing inside of me. I was always that girl helping everyone. So I was a dancer growing up, Indian dance especially. Mm -hmm. So I was in a dance school, and I was always the one who would meet with girls before practice and after practice or on the weekends to help them improve skills or we'd improve our skills together. But I was always kind of going above and beyond to help people. That was brewing inside of me. But being South Asian, mental health wasn't necessarily a career that was like told yeah. to me, like or an option yeah. for me. Did you growing even know up. what that was? F-H? You know, I had one psychology class in high school, like mm-hmm. AP Psych. But again, like no, I didn't understand what the career would be, yeah. right? And so, no, I actually entered college, University of Michigan, go blue. Um, as a pre-pharmacy student. Mm -hmm. So again, because it was like the stable career for a woman, right? That's what I was told that, you know, it's a good, stable, flexible, Mm -hmm. like nine to five overall Asian parents. parents. And it wasn't just even my parents. It was just what everyone was doing, right? Either you wanted to be a doctor or you didn't want to be a doctor. And so you picked something like pharmacy or you were like business engineering, something like that. But one of those like you know, uh, established fields or like the fields that made sense. Mm-hmm. So I just went pre farm. I didn't know any better or any anything else. So started college as a pre pharmacy student. And I was taking Orgo and bio and all those. Oh my God. Oh, I can... Wait, what is Orgo? organic chemistry oh shit
1: yeah okay. inside yeah. baseball yeah, it's, terms it's, it's, <laughs> oh shit is <he's> right <laughs> art student over here like. well,
2: yeah, yeah, so i was taking organic chemistry and biology but mm. also to fulfill my like humanities humanities and social science classes mm. i was taking psychology and sociology again just to fulfill the requirements um, and i started to see this shift in myself that i was late for organic chemistry and bio i dreaded it i wasn't doing as well in the classes i clearly was not motivated and I was, like, early front and center for psych and soc. So I was noticing something was happening, that I was clearly more intrigued by these subjects. Mm. By second year of college, I knew it. Like, I wanted to pursue a career in psychology. I was learning more about the career path and being a therapist, psychologist, researcher, all those things. But then came the hard part of how do I actually make the switch and how do I tell my parents? Mm-hmm. And so I had them come to Ann Arbor, where Michigan University of Michigan is, And we went to dinner, and I told them, you know, I want to switch my career. And at first, my mom was really excited, and she thought I wanted to, like, switch to becoming a doctor. Yeah, and was was,
0: were you sophomore, junior? I was, like, right at that
2: point where you had to determine your – major concentration so I think okay. it was like midway sophomore year, midway sophomore year. something like that yeah. right And your
0: mom is secretly hoping oh she's like oh you want to be a yeah. doctor I've always wanted want my yeah. kids yeah. to be a she doctor finally came around. I knew it like yeah. everything
2: I said you know and I was like yeah not exactly um so I told them luckily my parents although very Asian and, and traditional very supportive people mm-hmm. and are you an only child or I have an, older you have an older brother he went the traditional economics he went into consulting okay. and then Worked with my dad and his businesses. Okay. And that's what he does now too. Okay. Um, so I've always, I guess, been like the wild card, you know? And they yeah, were yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah, we knew things were going too well. Like, <laughs> we knew you were going to pull something. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I switched. They supported me. They were confused, they didn't really know what. A career in mental health really would entail and they just said hey as long as you can make a responsible life for yourself go for it and I think I at that time wanted to get my PhD and that made them feel better yeah. like oh okay PhD like yeah, graduate yeah, school yeah. like Still doctorate, <laughs> a doctorate right exactly <laughs> yeah. so that's how I switched you know it was just like it just kind of happened over mm-hmm. time um, and then it was do I want to be a therapist or a researcher so I started working in a bereavement center which is um, you know, for kids who have lost a loved one. Yeah. So I was volunteering there and I was also working in a research lab. Started to see that same shift in myself, right? Where I wasn't like loving going to research and I would love to go to the bereavement center. Mm-hmm. I know that sounds weird, but yeah. like as in I love doing that work, like one on one and wanted wor- to not like one-on-one.
1: engage with people. Yeah, I
2: wanted to be working with people in person, not right. behind a computer researching and yeah. writing down numbers, you know. Um, so yeah, so I decided I wanted to be a therapist and then I went on to get my MSW. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's kind of how I got to it. Yeah, I wanted to go back to what you initially said about how you were always the girl that was helping people. Yeah. And I wanted to know where that comes from and how that kind of connects to, obviously, Jakey pointed out, you like engaging with people. What is that motivation for you to help them? definitely I mean I think it was part
2: of um, how I was raised right like my parents were always helping other people right so whether it was a family member who was coming from India and needed a place to live right for a little while like something like that right so I think I was always exposed to it and then um, when I was about 15 or 16 my dad donated a bunch of money to build a school in like a small village in India Um, so for impoverished kids who couldn't really have access to great education Um, it's in Gujarat which is like kind of West, center west of India, mm-hmm. um, central west, like near Punjab. I don't know if you know Gujarat, GU. Are you,
1: are you Punjab?
2: I'm Gujarati. Okay. I'm actually Gujarati. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. So it was in Gujarat. Um, so yeah. And so I think I was always around that philanthropy slash like helping people in need and like, always being that like lending hand or or listening ear. I think my parents were always mm-hmm. like that. So, it was like subconsciously being ingrained in me. Yeah. And the only way I was able to really, you know, help other people at a young age was with what I was good at, which was dance mm-hmm. or sometimes school, like homework and things like that. Yeah. But more dance for me. Mm-hmm. And so it came kind of full circle for me, especially nowadays. I'm like, wow, it's so crazy, like, how you were raised. Like, these things are ingrained in you from from the get-go. But it starts to make a full circle later on in your life.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think, but what I do tend to notice about people who do that, who are constantly helping others, sometimes their mental health is not... Great, because they're so they're spending so much energy on other people and how other people feel and being considerate. Sometimes it's easy to like let yourself down and kind of Mm -hmm. neglect yourself. Did Mm -hmm. that have anything to do with maybe your interest in psychology? Like Mm -hmm. while you were taking these classes, were did you make any discoveries about yourself of like, oh, Mm -hmm. is that why I'm that way? Or oh, this is sometimes having those medical terms empowers you to be like, I'm not weird. It's just Science, you know? Totally.
2: Uh, I don't think I ever – not during school, right? Never during school. I mean, I clearly wrote this whole book, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, about my Mm -hmm. anxiety. But I don't think I ever, like, made that connection during school or even while I was working – of like, you know, I'm reading this and is this me? I don't know. I think if you're going to go into that field, you learn not to do that. Mm -hmm. You learn how to kind of detach yourself and and like detach yourself and then detach, you know, you don't do that with other people either, right? Like you don't do that with your friends or your family or like your boyfriend. Like Mm -hmm. you don't analyze them either. Mm -hmm. You learn how to make it like a learning experience or a teaching experience versus like applying it to everything in your personal life. So no, I don't, I don't think I ever did that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah oh interesting
1: okay well i mean if that's the case then what is it about this job that you wanted to like you know really hone in on Mm because like at the end of the day this is a people job right so you have to constantly hear other people's shit like (laughs) you just have to hear other people's shit that you could relate with or shit that you're just like damn like i can't relate with that at all so, and then you yeah. have to come up with solutions for these people. Right. So it's kind of like a very emotionally strenuous job on yourself. Um, so I'm curious to know, like, what is it about your disp- Yeah. Like, what is it about, like, your yeah. experience that made you want it to do that? Yeah.
0: yeah. And what it is also. Because some yeah. people might be like, oh, a coach, not necessarily a therapist. Yeah. And maybe I'll actually differentiate my path, right? So, like, I got... So
2: basically, and I'm glad you said I'm going to come back to exactly what you asked me. Um. I started working as a therapist, psychotherapist, right? So it's what you hear about all the time, like going to see a therapist, usually in private practice or a group or something like that, um, like 45 to 55-minute sessions, and you do different types of therapy, right? And so when I was working as a therapist after grad school, I was actually actually providing psychotherapy, which I'm so glad you described it like that because that's actually exactly what it's not, but most people think it is. Most people think that therapists are just relating to their clients and fixing their problems and offering solutions. Actually that's not therapy at all. Mm. Not at all, right? Or
1: talk to yeah. them. What is it?
2: So therapy <laughs> yeah. is like utilizing different theories and module or um, modalities and and um, different uh what's like different types of, uh, yeah, I guess they're just called theories. Yeah, different kinds of theories and applying it to different situations and then guiding clients through those different um, things that we are trained in. Like, for instance, I was working in an anxiety and depression private practice. So we only treated individuals who suffered with anxiety and related disorders. So we utilize cognitive behavioral therapy, which is an empirically founded theory for anxiety and depression. So you actually work your client through that process with like the actual empirically founded practices and exercises and questioning and things like that and guide them to feel better over time, right? But you're not telling them what to do. You're not saying like, I went through that. Actually, you're not allowed to do that, right? You're actually, when it's a, when you're a therapist and with a client, it's a very one-sided relationship. They don't actually know anything about you. Um, it's actually unethical. So you're really just guiding them through what you've learned in school and what you've been trained in to guide them to, figure out how to on their own, but with your training, guiding them to like get through their depression and get through their anxiety. But it's a lot of the clients work, right? Mm -hmm. So actually there's no relating. There's no um, solution finding, which is sometimes why I think clients who go to therapy are disappointed because they think I'm going to go to therapy and my therapist is going to tell me what to do and fix my problems for me. And that's not true at all. It's it's a long-term psychodynamic process, which sometimes takes a long time and I think that's sometimes why people um don't have buy in, right? Because they go to a month of therapy and they're like I'm still depressed or I'm still anxious. But that's not how it works. It's not like quick solutions. Mm-hmm. So
1: how does it work?
2: I just kind of explained that, right? right. And so but it's
1: like different, you know, you, you yeah, explain, it's like, hard the to, academic roadmap that was kind of constructed obviously, I'm sure through years and years of practice school. by various mm-hmm. scholars over the years, but you create this roadmap for your patients or mm-hmm. people going through the sessions, uh, to to walk walk through them, mm-hmm. and once you walk out of that, like, what is the goal? The goal is for these people to just feel better. That's that's the goal.
2: It, it depends, right? It's a really tough question to answer because there's so many different things people come in for, right? Mm. If it's anxiety, if it's depression, but usually it's some type of progress, right? Like it's some type of like, again, it depends. Like the, I don't even I couldn't even like. Start to answer that question appropriately because it's really individually based and disorder based as well. Right. uh, What the goal is. But I guess, in a nutshell, it's to not, it's to be able to work through what you're struggling with in a more effective way right yeah process it yeah, things, i know enough,
1: it sounds fair. really vague no, 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 not at all it, it sounds fair yeah
0: yeah can you give us like a random example of like a theory for example like theory that you would apply
1: about to go mass sigmund freud over <laughs> here like well, carl Jung situation yeah, it's also like
0: a tough because also i haven't practiced as a therapist
2: in two years mm-hmm. this is really tough for me to answer because things have changed since i was a therapist so I, maybe i can like lead into what i've been doing for the last two years um these like module or mo- I'm not thinking of the right word. These theories are changing all the time and there are new theories being formed and new researchers. And since I haven't been working as a therapist for the last two and a half years, I don't know what's current and what is what people are doing now Mm. in therapy. So I wouldn't be able to really appropriately talk about it now. And I wouldn't feel like ethically responsible doing that. I feel you. I feel you. But what I can tell you is I I just explained to you the psychodynamic process, right? Where it's very long term. It's very guiding clients through these different theories and modules and exercises and things like that. I learned as a therapist that that actually wasn't for me. Um, I was good at it, but I wasn't excellent at it. And actually what I'm excellent at is being a coach. And so the clients I was working really, really well with Mm -hmm. in private practice were the clients who actually wanted quick solutions, wanted goals, wanted skills, and wanted to move on with their lives. And accountability. And accountability and like very goal-oriented skills-based approach. But therapy usually isn't that. But I was realizing maybe I'm also good at teaching that, right? So- That's why I quit. I quit being a therapist because I realized I'm a better coach and there's a certain demographic and a certain type of client that I would work really, really well with. So that's what I did. I quit and I started a coaching company. So what I developed was anxiety coaching service. I totally made it up. So many, many people are like, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, because I just made it up. It's just a life coach, but every life coach has his or her own focus. So Some people do career development or, um, I don't know, personal development or something like that, leadership, speaking, things like that. Mine was anxiety. My focus was anxiety and stress reduction. So what I developed was a structured program, very short term, that taught a skill and it was behavioral, like a behavioral approach. So it kind of felt like school, like we, they get on a call and if they were a good fit for the program and I would, you know, let them kind of freely speak through their anxiety and anxious thoughts and explain them in as much detail as I could, as they could. And then I would actually help them reframe their thoughts and like point some of their thoughts back to them. So Oh my God, I was at work and my boss walked by and I like freaked out and I thought like my boss was mad at me, right? And I'd actually like, repeat some of these thought patterns back to the client to help, help them identify and build awareness and then help them actually reframe their thoughts that, okay, when this thought comes up, we can't stop it from coming up because thoughts are thoughts. Then I want you to do this with it and those two things combined will start to reduce your anxiety. So I started teaching these skills in what I have been doing for the last so, two and so a half for years. So
1: for that instance, mm-hmm. it's like, yo, I got mad anxious when the walk- boss like walk right behind me. Yep. What is like the other thought that you suggest to your client? So
2: first we get to the root cause, right? The root the root fear, right? Okay. And maybe we can talk about what anxiety is too. Right. But the root fear in that is often like, I'm going to get fired or this boss doesn't think I'm good enough or thinks I'm stupid or thinks I'm an idiot. Like that's usually the core fear. So what I'll help the client say is when you have this fear that you're going to get fired, you want to use acceptance and say, I could, like I accept that I could get fired, right? Neutralizing that thought versus letting that thought overpower you and lead you to a freak out downward spiral. Mm. Saying to it, kind of going like this and being like, that could happen, that Mm -hmm. could happen.
1: So, you're kind of admitting the fact that, okay, whatever possibility you're thinking, just accept it. Exactly. It, mm-hmm.
2: it could. It could. could. It could. Right. Okay. Not that it will, right? Anxiety right. will say, it's going to happen. It's happening now. The boss is going to take you into the room. They're going to put you on probation. You're done for, right? That's what anxiety does, is it over exaggerates. Right. Whereas my whole approach is like neutralizing that thought right away and kind of like, just like a bully, right? So, if a bully's like, oh, you're stupid, you're this, you're that, right? Yeah, okay, maybe I am. Mm
0: hmm
1: what's your point okay
2: right and it's not saying i am or i'm not it's saying maybe could happen right sure
1: so you're basically trying to make it indifferent to the exactly to the thought?
2: neutral okay. it's, i'm all about neutralization so that's what i've been doing for the last two and a half years is kind of working with clients and helping them learn this neutralization technique which is very different than therapy right this is very skills-based so it won't get to the root cause you know we were talking about therapy earlier therapy is about how did anxiety form where did it start how did it start at other what other points in your life have you experienced it how has it maybe manifested and gotten worse and gotten better and it's it's a little bit not a little bit a lot more intricate and deep and deep rooted whereas i now only work with people on their surface level thoughts and experiences kind of in their Mm day-to-day that's the big difference yeah
1: so how did you come up with this neutralization technique
2: so I'm glad you asked that. I mean, I, I think it's a bunch of different things. So I think it's part of my training. I think it's a lot of what worked for me because, as I mentioned, I had really bad anxiety. And this is what worked really, really well for me. So I, I tend to find clients that have similar experiences to what I went through. And not like actual experiences, but experiences with anxiety, mm-hmm. right? So someone who is like high functioning, but like looks like he or she has it together on the outside, but on the inside is like like literally filled with anxiety and fear and panic. But high-functioning doesn't have any co-occurring disorders because if, you know, if you have depression or something else, um, I can't take you on. It's a phone coaching program. It's not ethically responsible of me to say, like, I can help you when this only works for a certain type of client. And... Um,
0: so well, you yeah. have said no to people before. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. It's not. It's a disservice, right? And it's uh, honestly because I've been on the other side and I've been a therapist, I know what's appropriate and what's not. So I'll never mm-hmm. take on someone that I think
0: I can't help. Yeah. Yeah. So did you, because you said the ethics are different in mm-hmm. different forms of uh, treatment. So were there times in therapy where you wanted to kind of reach out and be like, I wish I could tell you this, but I can't. I'm just here to kind of absorb and stay true to this practice kind of thing all the time Mm -hmm. I felt I never actually
2: did it Mm -hmm. right but I I always felt it yeah and when you're a therapist um you have you know obviously you have like weekly meetings with your team and your boss and you kind of go through case examples and that's kind of your time to talk some of these things out like this is how this made me feel and Mm -hmm. you know this client brought this up for me because if if a client is bringing up something for you that's potentially inhibiting the care or impacting the actual treatment, then you need to take that client off of your, you need to terminate that relationship. Mm -hmm. So yeah, all the time where I feel like, oh, I just want to tell this client, do this, do that, right? But you kind of have that session. So yeah, all the time, but Mm -hmm. you're taught not to. You're taught to stick to the... Um, protocol. Mm -hmm. yeah, Which really drove me nuts, I will say. And that's eventually why I quit. Yeah, Because I knew that I was like, I felt like I was sitting on my hands all the time. Mm -hmm. That I wanted to like, and I knew how it could help certain types of clients. And I just couldn't because my job role, like the the ethics of my job wouldn't allow me to. So that's why I quit and started something that I could do that.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, So going back to your book, so I... You were talking about neutralizing, like jk was like, okay, so someone's kind of coming at you, bullying at you, and that could be yourself, mm-hmm. and you you saying these things to neutralize it and to stay calm and cool. And I think we read a couple pages of your book, and we're like, oh wow, the tone is very neutral. Mm-hmm. There's no room for interpretation. It's just very literal. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering maybe if you could read a passage of yours yeah. and just kind of t- walk us through like yeah, why let's, you decided let's, let's to. let's all
1: read a passage.
0: Oh, all of us read, uh, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. read really a passage? Yeah, let's all read passage. Jakey really wants to read a passage. Well, okay. yeah, I just I, pick, I picked one earlier, yeah,
1: but yeah, yeah, maybe sure. we'll let
2: you just like, you know, nah, randomly, randomly open one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's
2: do it. Well, this is one I picked, but definitely so the chapters in my book are um, you know, in relation to others, in relation to romantic others, in relation to career, and everything else. Basically the everything else, I just didn't know how else to fit it in. So yeah. um this one is from In Relation to Others. It's page 43. It says, um, I used to scold myself if I didn't know enough about a topic while conversing with others. I convinced myself that everyone thought that I was unintelligent. I tried to act like I knew more than I did. I then convinced myself that everyone thought that I was trying too hard. So each page kind of has this, um, you know, I guess, little story at the beginning. And I kind of explain exactly what my anxiety would say to me and what I would experience. And then the bottom part actually shows how I reframe those thoughts, which is exactly what I teach my clients. I stopped being mean to myself, and I learned to accept that I may not know everything about every topic. Some individuals may think that I am unintelligent. I may sometimes try too hard. And some individuals may think that I'm trying too hard. So you'll notice in these statements certain key words. May is one of those key words. It's neutral. It's vague. You're not saying for sure. You're not saying never. You're saying may. Another keyword is um, some. Some individuals. That's not saying all mm-hmm. or no one, right? It's saying some. Mm-hmm. It's very neutralizing. Um, sometimes is another one. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, what I teach people cool. and what I practice myself. Yeah. Oh, want I, to flip to one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Let me. Uh, I really hope There are certain pages joint, I
2: really hope he flips to.
1: <laughs> there's this one joint about friends. I want to hear
2: J.K. read. Hear... Friends are all in the beginning, <laughs> by the way. Okay, well, uh, It's a relation to uh, others.
1: It was about, like, about like making new friends and shit.
2: Oh, it's probably one of the first few pages. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Like all friends right. making new friends? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
0: making new friends yeah, and yeah, shit. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Totally. Right here. Okay, okay. Read it, J.K. Let's go. Let's go. Don't wrap it, though.
1: It's okay if you do. I used to feel anxious when my friends made new friends. I convinced myself that my friends would think that their new friends were cooler than me. I assumed that my friends would forget about me. And then it breaks off mm-hmm. and goes into this phrase that uh, Palak repeats throughout the book. I stopped being mean to myself and learned to accept that some friends may make new friends. No new friends. <laughs> no new friends. No, no, no. Some friends may spend less time with me. Some friends may find value in their new friendships. I may make new friends. Not nuke friends. I may make new friends. <laughs> some friendships may change. Some friendships may end. Love changes. Love changes. <laughs> best friends become strangers.
0: That was not part of the book. That is a, was not
1: part of the book. Neither was a no new friend. But uh, now nah, my point is, though, like, so So okay. As, as I'm reading this, right, I'm thinking, like, Like no shit, like yeah, yeah, no,
0: totally. But your anxiety won't.
2: So you're telling me
1: there's motherfuckers out there that really think this?
2: Absolutely, and I did. This was my this was my anxiety, right? My fault. (laughs) No, no, it's all good. I I wrote a book about it, right? So I'm I'm okay with it. But but it's um, like. No, totally. There was a point. And this this thought hit me mostly when I graduated undergrad because then everyone was going off to their new programs or their new schools or new jobs. And like some of my best friends who we had like a crew in college, all of a sudden they're like making new friends and we're not talking as much. And also I was still in Ann Arbor. So like for me, it was even worse. So I'm yeah. like, you guys all went somewhere and making new friends and I'm still stuck here, you yeah. know, because um, I went to Michigan for uh, grad school too. Oh. So, yeah, that really impacted me. And I would, like, get into these, like, bad spirals of, like, oh, my God, my friends don't want to be friends with me anymore. I'm going to have no friends. And, like, once you kind of give into your anxiety, it becomes that bully and just takes over, right? And so, actually, maybe I can talk about what anxiety is mm-hmm. for, like, a minute Yeah, or no, two. actually, yeah, right? th- that would be great, great
1: I'm, like, thinking, like, isn't this, like, kind of obvious?
0: Yes, it is. You know, That's like,
1: the, the world doesn't revolve yeah. around me. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. And, and one thing before you explain it, mm-hmm. I, I... I totally know what you mean. And I think one one of my friends put this perfectly is that most of us know what to say, right. but it's hard for us to believe it. Right. Like knowing and believing are completely different things. Right, Because mm. sometimes, you know, maybe your friend is talking to you about the very problems that you have. And you know exactly what to say to him or her. And being like, you know, man, that you just have to do blah, blah, blah. But then you can't really take that advice for yourself. You know, someti- sometimes it's so hard for us to absorb. And mm-hmm. I think that's Oh, probably- no, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But
0: when you put it kind of out like this, you kind of do see like, oh, yeah, you can just do right, this. Right. And that's part of the healing. It is. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I'm I'm actually glad you didn't relate to
2: that page because that's another point, right, is that. Everyone has anxiety about something totally else, right? Yeah. What I have anxiety about, you might not have anxiety about. Whatever you have anxiety about, I might not have anxiety about, right. right? And that's okay. But it's respecting that. It's just saying, like, hey, it doesn't—that doesn't impact me, but this does, right? Mm. And, and etc. So, um, okay. So, what is anxiety, right? How I yeah, describe talk to it. Us.
1: Talk to us, pal. Luke.
2: Let's talk about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <laughs> she's talking. <laughs> yeah. So most people like identify anxiety mm-hmm. with the symptoms, which is worry, nerves, sweating um jittery like tense like, tight. like physical yeah right like all those you know or even like the lack even of sleep the lack of sleep right lack those like shedding patterns um no. sure uh, <laughs> sure maybe Just yeah i mean valid. like people feel in their stomach which <laughs> yeah. can impact all of that right totally Word. or sometimes they like urinate more i mean if we really want to get right, into right, it right? right those are all symptoms could be right so people identify it with those symptoms anxiety what it really is in my opinion is fear and when I say that, I usually get a little bit and of. And you a- said
1: opinion, so it's not like a like. Well, a theory because I don't, like-
2: I don't ever quote theories anymore, just okay, because I haven't you. been working like that. Okay, so I okay. always just, anytime I don't think now, I just say my opinion, right? Gotcha, Okay. But I'm glad you asked that. Okay. Um. So yeah, fear, right? And when I say that, people usually have like kind of a confused look because they don't really experience fear when they're anxious, because you experience all the surface level feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like the jitteriness and all of that. You don't really recognize that it's fear when you're actually anxious but you know it is and and it's deep core in your deep gut your fear is manifesting in all these in all these symptoms so examples of fears are fear of judgment fear of failure fear of rejection fear of death right so fear of rejection can manifest in dating in in job interviews in um you know in friendships friendships, right Mm -hmm. Uh, Fear of failure can also, relationships, businesses, career, like anything, right? Um, And fear of judgment can be with your friends, your parents, your family members, your significant other, really, anyway, your coworkers, your boss. So these can manifest in so many different ways. And there's so many more fears. Fear of death can manifest in health anxiety, right? So germophobia or not touching things or washing your hands all the time because you're scared of like getting a deathly, uh, like a fatally a fatal illness or something, right, mm-hmm. and dying or getting really, really sick. So, yeah, and the, in its core, anxiety is fear. So what happens when we're anxious is we usually respond to anxiety in, in a couple of different ways. Like we tend as humans to respond in one of these four ways, or many of them, distracting, blocking, avoiding, or preoccupying. Mm-hmm. So distracting is how, what it sounds like, right? Like, oh, I'm anxious, not going to think about it, distracting myself with something else to get my mind off of it. And actually, society sometimes tells us to do that. How many times have we all heard that phrase, Mm -hmm. just go get your mind off of it? Yeah, just get a drink or, you know, just go out. Just go Mm -hmm. out or read or work out. Like, Mm -hmm. what? No. I mean, maybe it does work for like an hour, right? But you're just putting it off. You're not dealing with it. Same with avoiding, right? You're just avoiding the situation. But sometimes that can get really dangerous because, for instance, if you have anxiety about dating, maybe you just avoid dating, and all of a sudden, you're avoiding it forever and ever and ever. And then you're like, well, why am I single? Mm-hmm. Right? So that can be the problem with avoiding. Um, thought blocking is what it sounds like. Like, literally, a thought comes to your mind of like a, of an anxious thought. And you're like, no, go away. I'm, if No one can see me right now, but I'm pushing mm-hmm. the air away. Um, literally, it's like thought blocking. But that doesn't work either. Because when you tell yourself, don't think about this, it's like a little kid. If you tell a kid not to do something, the kid's going to go do it, right? Totally. So if you tell your mind, don't think about this, your mind's going to bring it back stronger. Actually, you want to do a quick exercise for like 10 seconds. Okay. With I'm sure listeners would like this too. Okay. Is yeah. if you actually tell yourself for the next 10 seconds, do not allow yourself to think of an elephant. Say, I cannot think of an elephant. I just thought
1: about an elephant. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right?
2: And all you'll see is like the letter E and yeah. elephant and uh, Dumbo yes. the elephant and um, one of our Hindu gods, Ganesh. Is oh, me. yeah. So I'll think of Ganesh, right? And mm-hmm. so it, that's how it works, though. So it doesn't work. The fourth one is preoccupying yourself. So many people think, well, when I have time, I'm anxious. So I'm just going to busy myself all the time. So I don't have time to think. But obviously that can get dangerous because then you burn out. And you're not actually ever relaxing and having time for yourself. So those four things, if there's one takeaway, stop doing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Repeat, but then
1: repeat those four things for me again.
2: Distracting, uh, avoiding, uh, stop blocking, uh, preoccupying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool.
1: Oh. Oh.
2: So usually, you know, what I teach is learning how to face your anxiety instead, head-on. It's hard for me to explain that entire skill right now, but it's learning that neutralization, right? It's like right when that thought comes up, learning what to do with it right then and there or pretty soon afterwards. So sometimes, obviously, if you're like in a meeting, you can't just like stop talking and do the exercise, right? But maybe right after you walk out of the meeting, you you do this exercise and deal with it right then and there. The whole idea is learning how to face your fears. So if your fears tend to be around judgment of others, then it's learning to accept that people might judge me, right? Mm-hmm. There are going to be individuals in my life that could judge me, and, and that's okay. But there also will be individuals in my life who don't judge me, right? And it's learning how to be okay with that potentially bad outcome. I think that's the real solution to anxiety, is whatever you're scared of happening, it's accepting that it could happen. And then you learn to be more present yeah. and accepting of your day-to-day. Mm-hmm. You kind of, like, walk around being like, I don't know what's going to happen. I have a good idea that this will happen. There's no certainty, though. But I'm going to keep living my life in this direction. But whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And that's okay. Learning how to be okay with that discomfort.
1: All right, cool. So break us apart. <laughs> Come on. Like uh, break break down our anxiety. Oh, and no, like no, make, no, make, no. make me stronger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, so I, growing up, I'm Korean-American. I mean, we're Korean-American, K Pride. I'm looking okay. at JK. All right, cool. Our, our listeners should know this, but you know, I didn't really know what anxiety was. I just thought, like, oh, it's just like another word for being nervous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I remember my friends, I'm from California. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you
1: haven't noticed.
0: <laughs> but my friends who went off to college on the East Coast, they came back and I was like, how's it going? Like, what is the East Coast like? And they're like, have you heard of anxiety? And I was like, yes but they came back with anxiety and Mm -hmm. it was just kind of this aloof subject you know like california kids or kids who grew up in suburbs and like quiet neighborhoods like very predictable routines and schedules and people and then when they were transported into like even like a city and i experienced this myself coming to a city of like there's construction there's sirens everywhere Sure. it's every day is an unpredictable day from the subways like not working to everything so it's a total you know if you were a control freak it comes, it brings out the worst sides of you. And I think Mm -hmm. um, I started experiencing those like physical symptoms when I moved to New York of just like, oh, like I'm having a shortness of breath or yeah, I'm like grinding my teeth. I've never done that before. And for the longest time, I just didn't, I couldn't pinpoint it into something. I'm like, I think I drink too much coffee or Mm -hmm. I think maybe something's bothering me at work. And I was trying to make sense of these things. But in, in reality, I think it was just, my friends were like, girl that's anxiety and right. i was like oh it's a actual thing it's a mental condition so um i think because of kind of like the asian american upbringing and the kind of about kind of th- thing and a <laughs> just but like a put sh- it into words yo um you know people don't talk about it and also i think my parents would or are a lot of our immigrant parents were like uh you are super privileged and You you don't have you didn't have to go through a lot of the things that, um, you know, our parents have to go through. So it's almost a privilege to feel anxious and to to tell someone that you're sick and that you're stressed and stuff because they're like, what are you so stressed about? You know, and I think that also kind of makes you suppress it more of like, I don't deserve to feel this way or I don't deserve to uh, feel sorry for myself Mm -hmm. because I feel this way. Um, So I really related to, you know, uh, maybe not all the pages, but really a lot of the pages. And because I do think these thoughts and um, yeah, I'm going to ramble now. But one of the things that um, so Pollock and I actually met before this recording Mm -hmm. um, and we met through kind of like this Cosmos community. It's a really awesome community for Asian-American women. And the big focus that they have was about mental health and we talk a lot about the surviving versus thriving mentality Mm -hmm. of we grow up seeing our parents survive and kind of um, live with limited means. So how can we go from that to thriving of like allowing ourselves to care for us ourselves and allowing ourselves to be happy in a way? Because sometimes I think that overwhelming guilt and the burden to just be grateful of the privilege that we have, it gets Mm -hmm. in the way of our happiness. So i don't know absolutely yeah. mm-hmm.
2: i mean i i've experienced very you know it's so interesting south asian east asian it, it, we all kind yeah. of have the same overall values mm-hmm. and our parents immigrant immigrant you know yeah it's it's overall the same and and one of the reasons why i think we experienced this shift in like moving to new york and feel, i think it's because it's just more talked about
0: here yeah.
2: right like absolutely. there's an actual name mm-hmm. for it we're out Maybe in Cali or in Michigan, you know, back in the day when we were growing up, it mm-hmm. was like, well, that's nothing. Yeah. Just, yeah. you're fine. That. You know, you have a roof on your head, your head, you have a bed, you have food, you're fine, yeah. right? Just get over it. Because that's how our parents were raised. Totally. That, like you said, the survival mode. So, I think it's a lot of just educating our parents too, mm-hmm. right? And our parents' friends and their groups of friends. And so I actually do a lot of that now. When mm-hmm. I when I launched this book, my parents threw me the cutest little book party.
0: Aww. And they
2: were all so interested. And I told yeah. them, it's okay if you're having this thought or it's okay if you're not okay. And that was the thing growing up. And I think that's one of the reasons also why I pursued, you know, writing this book and destigmatizing. as I grew up in a society that Everywhere we went, we had to, like, have it together, Yeah. right? Like, no one can know what's going on or no one can know if you didn't get a good grade at school or, like, no one can know, right? Like, no one can know too many details about our life at home. Mm -hmm. You Just tell them the highlights. Talk about the highlights. Talk about what's going well. Totally. Not just my parents. Everyone. Yeah. Everywhere we went, it was like, oh, my son did this or my daughter did this Mm -hmm. or I did this. Not, like... I must drop in the class, yeah. you know, like yeah. never. Yeah. So we were raised that way. Yeah,
0: I had one, my best friend growing up. She was Punjab, mm-hmm. and she was talking to me about this, like the Indian mom like oh, community, God. like that. And I was like, wait, that's like Korean moms. Like, you tell a one Korean mom that, like, oh, you know, JoJo got a B in AP Calc. Every single mm-hmm. Korean mom will know. Mm-hmm. Or you know, if my my friend was especially worried because like she had a boyfriend, mm-hmm. but she didn't. She was like, if one auntie finds out. That like I have mm-hmm. a boyfriend, it's going oh, to, you're you're done. Yep. And I was like, wait, <laughs> this is, how is it exactly the same? And that is done to the pressure of just like the greatest honor you can bring your family is to be the perfect like student or totally. to be that. Uh, why can't you be more like Pollock? Right. You know, right. you know there's a cre- term oh, in Korea, it's called um 친구 which means mom's best friend's daughter or mom's best friend's son, who she always compares you to and everyone wants you to be like them and be perfect. So I think that is a very specific, maybe Asian American <laughs> anxiety.
1: I don't. I don't even think it's strictly an Asian American because yeah. I think it happens in any society. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it happens in any community. But, yeah. um, but I think it definitely is uh, significant to immigrant communities because, mm-hmm. yo, like our parents came here, they were like wolves. You know what I mean? They yeah. had to kill motherfuckers to like get their families straight not kill literally (laughs) but like they they, they were willing to like kill (laughs) like you know they were willing to do anything sacrifice themselves to like Mm -hmm. get the foundation right you know it's Mm -hmm. not like some of these like generational wealth white families out here that like have a great grandfather that house like has an estate where a trust that (laughs) you could like (laughs) you know like get your back you know like you don't have to worry about yeah Yeah. so i think that's kind of where all that comes from you Mm -hmm. know like the mentality of like survival the mentality of like comparing yourself to another you know yeah um but
2: you you know you said one word pressure Mm -hmm. that's pressure anxiety like best friends Mm -hmm. right pressure anxiety uncertainty discomfort all those things they're all they're all best friends that's what it is is when you put so much pressure on yourself or, or feel pressured by others and allow that pressure to pressure yourself that's when anxiety rises, right? Yeah. And there's no such thing as perfection. There's no such thing as, I don't think so, at least. I mean, some people might disagree, but I don't think there's any way to be perfect yeah. or be the, like the best at everything. Mm-hmm. It's learning to take the freaking pressure off yourself yeah. sometimes and just be like, you know what? I couldn't, I just couldn't do today. Yeah. I just stayed home mm-hmm. and did nothing. And that's okay. Not saying, oh my God, I stayed home. I'm such a piece of crap, like mm-hmm. I didn't do anything, right? Talking to yourself is not good for you. Yeah. Like that, right? It's saying like, yeah, I didn't feel like going to work today. I needed a personal day. I stayed home. I watched TV. And guess what? I feel even better now and I'm ready to get back at it tomorrow. And I'm refreshed, rejuvenated, and an even better employee. Yeah. Mm. Amen. It's talking to yourself like that. Yeah. No, for sure. You know? Got you. And- so
1: it's, so and- sorry to cut you off, but mm-hmm. like, so anxiety is not something that it could ever go away then, basically. Nope.
2: I don't so think it's so. just
1: something that you always have to bear with, mm-hmm. but you just have to understand how to control it.
2: Work through it. right. Yeah. can't control it, right? Thoughts are thoughts are many people think you can control your thoughts. Like you can control what you mm. think about. I, I, I dare you to do an exercise one day and nah, like, nah, I'm
1: Buddhist I, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't reach the Nirvana, so like I know thoughts fucking come in and Anywhere, out all the time. right? Yeah. Like
2: one day if you're actually curious, like write down every single thought that you ever had in the whole day. And you'll be like, where the hell did that thought come Mm -hmm. from? Like, I did this once and I, like, thought about my pink bike when I was five years old. And I'm like... How did I think about that? Like, it just popped in, right? So our mind has a mind of its own. And I think when you try to control the content of your thoughts, that's where you get into trouble because you're like, oh, don't think this and don't think that. Again, that's so much pressure, right? So instead, it's being able to kind of, like, acknowledge the thoughts that you're having and learn how to work through the ones that are provoking anxiety. Yeah, your
1: thought is like laissez-faire, man. It's a free market. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? You just Mm got to... gotta let that shit free no yeah shout out to thomas Payne.
0: (laughs) no and um i i'm really glad you came on this podcast to really talk us through those things because i think it's something a lot of us experience but we don't really know how to talk about it Mm -hmm. without getting anxious you know Mm -hmm, totally and i know that you've been wanting to do more advocacy work of Mm -hmm. just raising awareness about these things so can you kind of tell us of I know you had an illustrious career, and you still have <laughs> clients with anxiety coaching. Mm-hmm. But what are kind of the next steps for you into scaling this mindset?
2: Yeah, so I think I'll even give like a whole summary of my career, so totally. it helps people understand. Because I know we've talked about like my ther- my work as a therapist, then coach, your book. Mm-hmm. right? So essentially, I you know got my MSW, I worked as a private practice therapist um, for a few years, and then I quit that and I started working as an anxiety coach, which is any, like Just like any other life coach, but my focus was anxiety and stress, and I did phone coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did group coaching. I'd go into corporate – like i go into a corporate client or sometimes do, like a nonprofit panel or something like that, but doing it in that way. Um, I'm still doing that, but I'm actually just told everyone before this podcast started Mm -hmm. um, is that I'm transitioning out of that, right? So I'm I'm starting to take on less clients. I'm actually phasing clients out, not taking on any more new clients. So whoever's in the program now, finishing the program, and then not taking on any more new clients because my dream has always been to impact masses. Mm -hmm. I love working with individuals and I love working with small groups, but my dream is to be helping hundreds and thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And when this day and age with this pod, like things like this podcast, and and um, social media and just the power of technology, I know it's possible. And yeah. I really want to spend the time to go do that. So yeah. my end goal has always been nonprofit and advocacy related, which are both quite intertwined. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work very closely with Minds Foundation, um, which is a nonprofit that, you know, increases education, increases uh, mental health services, all those types of things, destigmatizes mental health in India, um, which is obviously That's very amazing. near and dear to my mm-hmm. heart. And so I lead the team here in New York, the bo- junior board here in New York, and we put on monthly events to, you know, bring people together, have these conversations, talk about mental health. Like, what is it? What are we doing? I'm a true believer. The more we even just say the words mental health or some of these words like anxiety, we're making it more common and normal and day to day, right? The more we do that, the better. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to take on more of a role at Minds Foundation um, I'm also launching a product next week, at the end of next week, <gasps> slash early April. Um, can't announce exactly mm-hmm. what it is yet, but the product will, the proceeds of it will go to Minds Foundation. Mm-hmm. So, kind of just going more that route and and doing more and more. I public think I think you speaking. should tell us
1: what it is, because by the time this podcast <laughs> comes out, that product is probably already out.
2: Well, by the time it comes out, you could just link it. Then we'll <laughs> definitely add it in the link. Okay. So. Is it yeah. weed? No. Okay. No,
1: nah, because I, I mentioned weed. Cause i was actually talking to my mom the other day and i have family members that are like emotionally unstable you know mm. and i was just thinking like yo what if my pop smoked weed man? <laughs> like what if my auntie who always has these tantrums mm. like occasionally and she lives in seattle too yeah. and they got good reefer i was like what if she just smokes a little weed mm. like i feel like it will calm them down you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's I, your
0: new product.
1: No, nah, no, nah, It's like I don't y'all know like I don't really smoke yeah, yeah. anything. But yeah. like I just think to myself, like, you know, I was just thinking about okay, so like you said product and also I'm sure it's not like, you know, anything medicine oriented. Maybe no. it is, maybe it's no. not. But no. okay, so you're saying is no. So <laughs> He's like trying in to America, figure it out. <laughs> in America, right? There's so many different like drugs mm-hmm. that people like are addicted to. Mm-hmm. Is supposed to cure like your mental illnesses mm-hmm. right and mean, i'm like ca- medication yeah medication <laughs> and i just feel like yo is they they kind of uh they kind of argued that yo is a chemical imbalance and you need to like have this so you could be less demented or less of a bipolar personality like do, do you have any like opinions about that
2: i i cannot ethically speak to it because i never got my I'm not a doctor, gotcha. right? And and to prescribe medication to not even know anything about medications for mental health, or you have to be a psychiatrist. Mm. So even when someone asks me that when a client, I'll say, you know, that I, I cannot answer that ethically. Mm. Also, I just don't even know because mm. I was never trained in it. Right. Um, so I always recommend, like, if you're curious, go get an evaluation done. Go get a consultation done. Make an appointment with a psychiatrist. They will do the entire. He or she will do the entire evaluation and let you know and recommend to you. If anything...
1: The the reason why I even bring this up is mm-hmm. like, I didn't even know like some of the mental uh, illnesses mm-hmm. were disorders like ADD, for instance. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know that shit existed yeah. until mm-hmm. I was in high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. or even like you know Chelsea I
0: mean? White, our previous guest who has Tourette's. Right. Like we mm-hmm. were like, we, so many people, because they don't have access to this kind of information. Right. It's it's really hard to Like we to don't discern. know what yeah. these things
1: are. And right. um, you all of a sudden tell you like, yo, go take some pills. <laughs> And I'm like, yo, yeah. like that shit sounds fucking fugazi as fuck. Yeah. Like how, how can I trust you? <laughs> well, and you know? that's the
2: thing. I'm glad, you know, I'm glad we're talking Jake, about this. Jakey's not a doctor. <laughs> because if anyone, if it's your friend or your coworker, anyone's talking to you about something and they're by, struggling sorry, with. Sorry to cut
1: you off, Like no, I'm not please. talking about how can I trust you as in the people that are going through it. Right. I'm talking about like the, the professionals. Med- yeah, yeah, the medical mm-hmm. industry that's prescribing this type of shit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Who
0: may be mo- motivated by other things. Yeah, exactly. Of like,
2: yeah well hopefully totally. that's not the case yeah. right mm-hmm. hopefully they're doing their job in, in an ethical way
1: this is not paulik's opinion but i think y'all <laughs> really trying to fucking no, sell I'm some my medicine God. you fucking scumbag oh my but, God. um but yes anyways
2: yeah um i was gonna say is if if you know if someone if you're, if you're talking to someone who's having some of these questions right tell them why don't you go talk to someone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. remember the best like way. and and one thing is when you, whether it's a therapist or psychiatrist, and they're two different things, by the way, psychotherapist. Yeah, yeah. Can yes. you break
1: that down for us? So
2: a psychotherapist, which is what I used to be, mm. you're doing talk therapy, right? Mm. And so it's talking, there's no medication um, management or prescribing.
1: Psychotherapy. Psychotherapy. Okay. And
2: psychotherapists usually have like a master's, PhD, PsyD, things like that. Okay. PsyD okay. is P-S-Y-D. Um, it's like a psych- doctorate in psychology. It's a different side D. Psy, psy, psy
1: D. It's another one. D, all right. Yeah. That sounds don't like don't
0: make a- it weird. Nah, that don't that's- make it weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I- that shit was like inevitable. It's called psy D. You know what I mean? psy D.
2: PSY
1: PSY PSY. Um,
2: and then if you're an MD and you got medical doctor doctor, then you're a psychiatrist right there's so many different doctors but Uh. in mental health you're a psychiatrist and those are the those are the individuals professionals who actually prescribe medication and do medication management so psychotherapist
1: does not give you guys pills MDs psychiatrist to all all my people that's looking for pills y'all go to mds right right Right.
2: and if or you know and and you can't just you won't just go to a psychiatrist yeah of course they'll do an consultation and and let you know what they recommend and oftentimes psychiatrists and psychotherapists will work together for the treatment plan right so remember just because you go to get a consultation whether it's with a psychologist like whether it's with a therapist or a psychiatrist remember like you don't if you don't feel comfortable. You don't have to keep going. And that's one thing that many people don't understand is they think like the first therapist or the first psychiatrist they go to, that's it. It's not. Remember, Mm -hmm. these are very personal topics and it's all about the relationship you have with the person you're working with. And if it's not fitting, it's not working for you, you don't have to continue. You find someone else. But then that's the second step is try not to get unmotivated. Keep going until you find someone that you can work well with. yeah. It's a lot of money, insurance, hopefully, you know, I, I would always recommend going to your insurance's website. Most of them have them now. And, you know, they usually have like search by zip code or search by area. And then like, you know, going to the list of people that are in network
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then just trying it, right? And then, and maybe asking people, um, or looking at their bios to see like what do they help people with so if you're having like career anxiety relationship anxiety or you are feeling depressed look at the therapist's bio to see do they help people with that that yeah. will also save you and some time and they will time. say what
0: they specialize They'll, in yeah, exactly mm-hmm. yeah. exactly because I know some of my friends who um, go to people who specialize in like people with creative fields mm-hmm. that deal with like uncertainty in their jobs that or certain people who want for example you know Michael I hope he doesn't mind sharing this but he, he's an adopted so he has a therapist who's also an adoptee you know and you can kind of skip a lot of steps Mm -hmm. when you have someone who have maybe empathized or have cases like that before Mm -hmm. So that's really good Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing I really wanted to learn from you Mm -hmm. was as someone who has anxiety myself Mm -hmm. how do you have a lot of my friends sometimes get worried about me my family members get worried and how do you tell your friends or your loved ones um about anxiety and like what you're going through and how can you ask them to support you Mm -hmm. do you have any advice on that absolutely yeah first of all thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that
2: um yeah you know I think it's explaining first there are so many different aspects to this right one part is being able to explain what you're struggling with right so and I won't make this about you I'll say this in general right to anyone who's struggling with anxiety if you want to explain to people or help them understand what you're going through helping them Understand what your fears are, yeah. right? So whatever you're having anxiety about, tell your family and friends. Okay, I'm I, I get this way because I'm scared of A, B, and C, mm-hmm. A- and that's the hardest part because some of it's just admitting it out yeah. loud, right? That like, I worry what other people think, yeah. Or I worry all the time about losing my job, right? Or I yeah. worry that my relationship will end, right? Like yeah. it's being able to say that out loud, but also. It, it can be, if you don't want to do that, if you don't feel comfortable sharing exactly what your fears are, then it's telling your family members don't enable me, mm-hmm. which is mm. key because reassurance seeking or like um, certainty seeking is often what can happen with family and friends. So like-
1: Give me an example. For
2: instance, when I, was, when I used to be like really, really anxious and didn't have some of these skills, I would call my mom and be like, mom, are you sure everything's gonna be okay? Are you sure? And I'd make her say it like 10 times, and right? And she'd be like, yes, 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 yes. Yes, everything's fine or everything will be fine, right? And then it got into this habit where I'd, I would have to call her to feel mm-hmm. better. Dependency. Yeah. Dependency, yeah. Mm. right? And then that wasn't helping my problems. It was actually right. just making it worse. Then it would lead to the next problem. Then all of a sudden I'm calling my mom about 10 things when I used to only call her about one mm. because I needed her reassurance, right? Her to tell me. And that just didn't help me and it obviously didn't help her either, right? Because now she's a... like,
0: oh shit, what did yeah. things go wrong? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Her, she actually probably didn't really understand what was going on, yeah. right? She was just helping her daughter and talking to her daughter, right? Mm. But, It didn't help me at all. But she didn't know that. Mm -hmm. She didn't know that it wasn't helping me.
1: Okay, I have two questions. Absolutely. One, I know you mentioned that you can't comment on about like pills and drugs and Mm -hmm. all that. What are your thoughts about meditation? Does Mm -hmm. that actually help with anxiety? Soothes it? Suppresses it? Blocks it? What does it do?
2: So I always say meditation, that's just my opinion about it, right? Because I'm not personally someone who benefits from meditation, but I I think meditation, working out, yoga, um, th- they all kind of go under self-care slash lifestyle choices, right? Let's even take out self-care, lifestyle choices. So things that you do, like healthy eating, right? Working out, exercise, like all those things, I put that meditation, I put that under lifestyle choices. It won't solve your actual problems, but it will help you develop healthy habits, Meditation, all of that, right? That's what I think. There are individuals in the health and wellness world who think that meditation can solve anxiety. Personally, it doesn't work for me. And many of the clients I work with usually experience more anxiety with meditation at first because meditation's hard. It's, it's not really easy. Hard. And so remember we talked about that word pressure. So if if you go to meditation, and you have like that perfectionist pressure kind of mindset, then you're going to go into meditation for the first time and pressure yourself to get it Right. And then you almost like get so frustrated that you're like, oh my god, I suck. And then yeah, absolutely, it's it's hard, right? Because meditation takes time to it takes time to get good at. And even when you're like quote unquote good at meditation, you might have an off day, right? Like it's really about practicing it and learning the skill. Um, So I personally wouldn't, you know, Mm. recommend it for anxiety reduction. If you're like me, Um, I would. But I do think it's a great lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
1: my second question mm-hmm. is, um, do you feel like, and I don't want s- I to, th- I feel like it might sound sexist, mm-hmm. but do you feel like men mm-hmm. tend to you. like hold into their shit more so than women do?
0: You know, is I, I that can't... like a
1: trait that you kind of notice with some of your clients? Well,
0: I'll never talk about my Because like, but you know, you like, on, are you talking about vulnerability?
1: Yeah, like vulnerability or like being expressive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. like do you feel like men tend to be less expressive than women?
2: I think it depends on the family you were raised in. Okay. Right? So it's hard for me to make like general statements or, or generalize like that. Right. But- I think many males are raised in families or raised with that mindset. Remember, like think about it. Ten, fifteen years ago, there wasn't much about vulnerability for anyone, right? Yeah, right. And
0: like media representation as well. Media
2: representation, mm-hmm. right? Gender roles, all of that. So, but then I do meet lots of males who are raised in families who were really expressive and communicative and are very expressive. But and even like what you
1: just said, like you call your mom ten times a day asking your know, validation, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Do you, like, because I don't, like, you know, it's kind of, and then you also talk to, you know, your girlfriends about your personal issues. I don't know if that's as common in, like, amongst male relationships. relationships. It
2: it can be, but again, it's the community and the family you were raised in, right? So if you had a bunch of brothers, I'm just giving an example, right? There are families who had a bunch of brothers, but they're family norm was to call each other all the time and to talk about things all the time and the dinner table and conversation and communication and, and expressing feelings. They could right. be like that. I think it's just really, I know this sounds so vague, but it really depends on the family we're raised right, in. Right, right,
1: right. No, I agree with yeah. you. I, regr- yeah. I agree on that sentiment. But since you are a professional that has dealt with different clients, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know if there was, from your experience, if there happened to be a pattern that you noticed.
2: I don't see a pattern in, um, I, well, I can't speak to a pattern right. male versus female, but I can say that there are societal norms that right. can exacerbate the society that.
1: society norms, yep. Mm-hmm. Got you. Got yeah. you. Okay. Cool.
2: Which I think are changing, by the way. No, I think totally. now they're, we're trying to like- A lot of
1: emotions on em- Twitter.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. A- are everywhere, right? Like actually one of my ideas for an upcoming event is to have a panel of males mm-hmm. and have them talk about some of these things, right? Maybe not anxiety and stress, but like what's going on? Let's just chat. Let's just like talk.
0: Yeah. You know? No, for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. definitely. Sons
0: of Korea, you guys don't talk about uh feelings.
1: I don't know what Sons of Korea is, yo. Like, it's a secret society. All we ask is Jake, trust. Jakey's
0: in a group of... uh, In the nah, group I chat. I don't
1: know what you're talking about. Of
0: like-minded individuals. All right. We're okay. gonna all right. I'm going to call you
1: out. But
2: you know, one one thing I will say is um, mm. there's one way that all of us, whether you have a background in mental health yeah. or not, can help to reduce the stigma or, you know, increase vulnerability or encourage vulnerability. And it's very simple. It's literally at your dinners, at your social gatherings, when everyone's asking, how's your week? What happened? Tell me about it, right? That's a typical question, right? Add one question. What are you struggling with? Mm -hmm. Or what didn't go so well this week? Just ask it.
1: But isn't that also like in the pretense that something did go wrong?
2: But that's life.
1: Got you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you and just usually, accept that, basically. Right, that's usually, another one of your absolutely. techniques.
2: Absolutely. Life is positive and negative, right? You I mean, see,
1: I needed to get that answer out of you. Ab- that's why I asked I'm glad that. you asked uh. that. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. And yeah. like, you know, everyone's always struggling with something. Even if it's not like upsetting them at the moment, there's usually something we're trying to improve on or working on or something, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and oftentimes, if no one answers, feel comfortable sharing yourself, right? Like, And I do this all the time where I'll be like, what happened this week? And of course, everyone gives their like sugar-coated answers, and I'm like, all right, let's get real. And everyone will be like, oh, all right, so everything's fine, like, drink your wine, it's fine, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll like, say, No, and I'll kinda of talk about my week. Like, I had I was late for this and this happened. I got really frustrated. I didn't sleep. I got into a fight with this person. Like, I'll just like put it all out there. And it's not the same as venting or um, right, putting but, your problems out there. Yeah. It's sharing. It's encouraging vulnerability. There's an artistic way to do that mm. or a creative way to do that where it sparks conversation versus like taking over the floor. Yeah,
0: And I also think it's important for your... And you owe it to your friends to show that honest self. Absolutely. Because um, I think... I, I struggled with that too because I always wanted to be the fun friend. I want, always wanted to be like the happy friend that like, don't think you know. I are
1: really doing a good I job though. I am so
0: fun. Um, no, but like I, a lot of people, you know, came to me actually sometimes with what they struggled with and um, they just kind of assume like, oh, Jojo's fine. Like, she's always fine because I, I told them that and when I felt like down or whatever, I felt like I couldn't tell them because I'm like, oh no, I'm gonna let them down mm-hmm. or no, I'm supposed to be the one that's there for them. Like, and I didn't really give them an opportunity to be there for me. And then resentment would build of like, why don't they ever ask me how I am? Mm-hmm. But. I created that myself mm-hmm. so I really mm-hmm. thank you for that advice because um, true friends are the ones who will stick around despite you know God, you talking about the you, boring Palak. struggle now thing. I have to deal yeah. with
1: Jojo's problems I know
0: so we're going to open this week with my problems
2: <laughs> but again like yeah. some people might not want to yeah. and that's that's okay too right yeah. and I think that's the part remember I always said it's accepting the potentially bad outcome so if you start to share and you start to really be yourself and you're scared that some people might not stick around accept that they're might not be mm-hmm. some people might want to leave your life but listen you're better off knowing that now exactly nah, nah, for real, right you're better yeah. off knowing that now mm-hmm. let them go right yeah. and then focus on the people who stay and i've experienced i mean read my book i've experienced totally. that so many times mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. i, like, I yeah. like
1: how you plugged in like read my book by the way FYI. <laughs> no. yeah
2: yeah, yeah. Um, i am an entrepreneur too okay <laughs> no absolutely yeah, yeah.
1: sure you got to sell your copies yeah ma. i feel you Um, So on that note, I feel like it's a very thorough breakdown of everything um, we talked about from your book, from your career to a lot of different techniques that you've shared with us. On that note, I would like to ask this question. What is your most significant relationship uh, in your life?
2: You know I'm going to answer this very neutrally, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. this is my whole approach. Mom and dad. <laughs> no, well, I, no would, I was going to say my loved ones, right? Mm-hmm. Like just in general. And that is comprised of so many different people. But honestly, like I think um, my loved ones, and, and that's the thing about me, is I'm my biggest skill set is building my relationships. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyone that I consider a loved one, if you want me to list them all out, it could take another hour. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs>
0: Damn. We're added in the show notes.
1: Oh man, that's a, that's a lot. Of Shout people.
0: outs. Um, We're all tagged. Yeah, yeah. For
1: sure, for sure. And um, the second question is uh what is your personal mantra? Mm-hmm.
2: So, my personal mantra is the key to um, life, the key to happiness is accepting yourself, accepting others, and accepting external situations. Like for instance, like things that are out of your control that have nothing to do with you or anyone else, but like, Nature, or Mother Nature, or Earth, or you know, like some people have um, major anxiety about like a, c- a catastrophe happening, right, or like something like that, something that's like totally out of your control, that's not even have anything to do with like humans or anything close to you. So external situations, right, or like luck, right, like anything like that is an external situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right, yeah. right. I mean, like shit happens. That's just like my mentality. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. like, mm-hmm. you
2: know and you I mean? just gotta keep going.
1: It is what it is. It is is what it is. It is is what what it is. is. Shit happens. You hear that in my vocabulary all the time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. No. Sure.
0: I thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thanks for having me. And it's it's so crazy. Like I think when we first started the interview for me I was like oh my gosh she's like so put together <laughs> so like perfect and and but then you also wrote a how many page book of your like hundred, ex- yeah over 100 <laughs> pages of your anxious thoughts and you were able to show all of that those sides of yourself so thank you for sharing no, and letting us share with you and I wanted to just shout out Pollock and if you want to learn more about what she does and her philosophy and her new ventures hopefully by the time this podcast comes out or her products will be launched um um, you can check out more at her site called uh, curatedgoals.com and you can also buy her book Vulnerable. It's really beautiful. I, it's right in front of me right now um, on Amazon. By the way, it's Vulnerable with, without the oh, vowels. Yes. Without the vowels, mm-hmm. yes. Vuln- we'll put or it in why, the show notes. Why is that? Again. I don't know, just being trendy
1: and <laughs> oh, <okay. It's> like <laughs> cool. Without the okay. With it,
0: you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. It's like
1: ASAP with like the V. All right, I
0: got you. Do you want to plug your other social media? Yeah, yeah. just yes. Instagram. Mm-hmm. Just Paula Kviney, P-A-L-A-K-V-A-N-I.
1: So on that note, it's another episode that we wrapped up. Shout out to Listening Party. Shout out to Canal Street Market. Shout out to New York City. Shout out to all the anxious people out there. We love y'all. Peace.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: <laughs> hey, yo, it's 6.99 for
0: Podcast. Amazing.